ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth and hosted by me, Liam Sturgis, musician, handsome gentleman, short-haired dude extraordinaire. All of this and more coming at you live today. Uh, thank you for your patience as I start a few minutes late today. I have uh, been spending these last few minutes getting my presentation all uh, up and ready to go. Looks like we are live on Locals and Rumble, as well as Rockfin and other places. So let's get started. Today we have a single story. I was considering what to cover this week. I was looking at um, the uh, RFK Jr. sort of official announcement that he's running for president, which we already kind of knew. I was going to consider doing uh, examining effective altruism part seven, uh, as we're really getting into the heat of, I think, where that whole saga is going in terms of real life manifestations of changes to the banking system in ways that actually affect us. The rollout of central bank digital currencies officially, the Fed now situation, which, by the way, is something that RFK Jr. pointed out in a very excellent tweet that he put out. But no, today we're going to look at something very specific. We're going to look at a very unfortunate murder that has taken place. A gentleman named Bob Lee, who was a, a big tech entrepreneur, to put it short, who was stabbed uh, and has died in San Francisco a couple days ago. Um, so we're going to get into that. And it, it's not a happy one. And we're going to focus a little bit on the, the stuff we usually do. We're going to look at who was this gentleman in terms of what did he do throughout his career? What were his contributions to big tech? Which, of course, these days, anything that goes into big tech also affects our lives. So how did this man, how did Bob Lee change the way we live? So before we get started, um, thank you to everybody and a shout out to everyone watching on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, but also on Twitch, where I can see we have at least one viewer and those joining us on Facebook. Uh, and there are other places as well. Obviously, our wonderful team over on Locals hanging out. Um, and uh, now I'm going to remind everybody, if you want to support the show, which I implore you to do, you can give us a Rumble rant. And Rumble has rolled out a new feature or a new special where, if I'm not mistaken, 100% of proceeds from Rumble rants go to the creator for the rest of 2023. And then in 2024, they go back to a 20% cut. So if you want to support the show, this is one of the best ways to do it. In the chat box on the right of the Rumble video player, you'll see a little green dollar sign. You can click that. You can enter the amount you want to uh, contribute to the show and then enter your comment. And if you do that, I will pay special effort to bringing your comment up on screen if I can. And more than anything, it's a great way to continue this show and the rest of what Rounding the Earth is doing. You can also donate on Rockfin. You can give uh, cash donations as well as tips on Odyssey. So that's a great way to do it. But of course, as I've already mentioned, roundingtheearth.locals.com is by far the best way to become a part of the Rounding the Earth community. You can do so for free and you can stay up to date on everything we're doing in a wonderful, easy to read newsfeed format. But you can also become a paid supporter for as little as $5 a month. You can do one-off donations. You can do an annual uh, subscription. And that gets you access to our weekly behind-the-scenes locals exclusive supporters only live streams this week oh, that's the wrong slide this week on wednesday we had matthew deliver a 
a mini presentation, uh, an opening of the thoughts on the engineering of the eunuch class. Now, that's a, that's a touchy sounding topic. So if you want to hear the entirety of what Matthew had to say there and the wonderful discussion that ensued among our supporters, then go to roundingtheearth.locals.com, become a paid supporter, and go watch that show. Okay, let's move into our topic for today. So, big tech entrepreneur, Bob Lee has died. Now, I, I want to be very clear right off the bat. He's not just a big tech entrepreneur. I will never be able to sum up who this gentleman was in full. All I can do is find what open source information is out there about him and try to piece together his network, his impact. and in a sense, just try to understand the context around who he was in order to perhaps begin to understand if there was a motivation for him to no longer be alive. Maybe we can try to make that clear. Uh, we're not going to solve a murder today, though. Okay, so, so no promises there. But on Tuesday, April 4th, it was announced that tech entrepreneur Bob Lee had been stabbed to death in San Francisco, California. From the BBC article, I quote, The California's San Francisco Police Department said officers responded to reports of a stabbing on Tuesday at around 2.35 local time. They found Mr. Lee unconscious on the ground with two stab wounds to his chest, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, and started to administer aid before rushing him to San Francisco General Hospital. Very sad. Mr. Lee's father posted a message on Facebook on Wednesday confirming the circumstances surrounding his son's death. My deepest sympathies go out to Lee's friends and family and all who are mourning his death. The news came to my attention after several of my peers sent around a thread discussing the incident on a forum on the forum of Y Combinator, a technology startup accelerator based in Mountain View, California. We've talked about Y Combinator before in the context of the Effective Altruism series because they are a, uh, they're, they're an incubator that uh, is very friendly to effective altruist types. And this is just a, a screenshot. A quick glance at the thread uh, reveals that Lee's death has sparked heated debate about whether he's victim of a larger increase in violent crime in San Francisco, uh, with some accusing others of playing politics during a sensitive time. Some in the latter camp have expressed desire to focus on understanding and celebrating who Lee was as a person and marking his place in history as a highly successful contributor to big tech innovation, changing the way people all around the world interact with their technology and each other. So let's dive in to that exact question. Who was Bob Lee? But first, just a quick shout out. Amy came. Oh, I didn't pronounce that right. Well, hello indeed. So, getting into it. Who was Bob Lee? Lee's early years are a little hard to piece together. They're not clear to me in my initial research, but his Wikipedia page is undergoing rapid changes because of his death. Wikipedia's write-up on him cites various sources, including his own personal blog, detailing his early ventures into coding. I quote, In high school, Lee wrote a 3D rendering engine in Turbo Pascal. Lee attended St. Louis, St. Louis or St. Louis? St. Louis University, where he became known as Crazy Bob from water polo and pledged Sigma Chi. 
In July 2001, Lee wrote a program for Microsoft IIS to defend servers from Code Red, a rapidly spreading computer worm around the time. From 1997 to 2000, Lee worked as a web developer for several organizations, including Red Rock Consulting, Southeast Missouri State University, and Darcy. He then took on senior consulting positions at Capgemini, Agilon Consulting, where he developed MasterCard's member bank website, and OCI, where he built a stock trading system for A.G. Edwards, a defunct and reorganized financial services firm. I think it may now be working under Wells Fargo. Lee worked at AT&T from September of 2003 to October 2004, then jumped to a longer-term position at Google as a staff software engineer. There, he led the core library development for Android, the company's mobile operating system. You see what I mean when I suggest that he's had a large impact in the lives of many. About, uh, I don't know, what is it, like 30% of smartphones use Android, maybe more? Probably way more. So then, in January 2010, Lee was headhunted by e-commerce startup Square, where he went to work as chief technology officer. As you can see, this article from the time, Bob Lee is Square's lead Android guy. So he developed the Android platform, and then he jumped over to Square to develop their Android app. He then also developed the iOS app. Now, Square, okay, is a payment processing platform originally developed in 2009 by Twitter founder Jack Dorsey and his friend Jim McKelvey. Four months after Lee was recruited, the first version of the service went live for public use. Early investors in Square during Lee's tenure include City Ventures, GGV Capital, Gosla Ventures, or sorry, Kosla Ventures, Kleiner Perkins, Rizvi Travers, Sequoia Capital, Starbucks, of all, of all people, Tuesday Capital, Richard Branson's Virgin Group, Visa, and VMware. So these are some fairly substantial institutional backers which makes sense if you're re revolutionizing the credit card payment industry. Lee led the development of Square's Cash app, launching in October 2013 under the name Square Cash. Now, notably, Square secured a debt financing agreement in April 2014 with several major banks, Barclays, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Silicon Valley Bank. Aha, everyone's favorite. Okay, Lee left Square in May 2014, taking a job the following month as a limited partner at SV Angel, which was another investor in Square. Now, SV Angel's founder, Ron Conway, went on to serve as co-chair of the COVID-19 Technology Task Force, alongside other high-powered American tech executives. For example, Bob Iger. CEO of Disney and others. So this is a serious guy. Now, news reports coming out this week note that during this period of time, Lee invested in a number of notable startups, including Clubhouse, Figma, and SpaceX. 
I just got a text from my landlord. Please forgive me. Now, um, I want to point out that Clubhouse is where I first met Matthew Crawford and Steve Kirsch and a number of others, number of people who have gone on to do tremendous things uh, in our in our expanded internet community. Now, it's not clear to me at this point if these particular investments were made in association with SV Angel or independently. Some additional investments that he did make uh, individually are Leo, a disappearing message app purchased by Lyft, and Tile, a company that creates devices connected to a mobile app, helping others to locate their personal items. Now, Tile is interesting and uh, alarming for several reasons. The tiles can be attached to items, connecting them by Bluetooth to a network that allows them to be tracked and located by their rightful owners. They can also, however, be used by stalkers to track individuals carrying the tags, a very real problem that the company has had to address. Furthermore, they're for those paying attention, a rather obvious precursor to more widespread connectivity as envisioned by proponents of Internet of Things systems. Now, it's not just an add-on product, however. This is sort of the point. Tiles technology is already being built in and, and, and deployed into an array of widely used devices from brands such as Bose, Dell, Fitbit, Hewlett-Packard, Intel, Lenovo, Skullcandy, and Smile Direct Club, which I thought was a Invisalign-type brace company. Bluetooth to your teeth, everyone. As well as Apple's Siri, Google Home, and Amazon Alexa smart home devices. As you can see, on the right side of the screen, we have Tile plus Amazon Sidewalk. Now, you guys may recall, maybe last year, there was this piece of news that went out that said, hey, if you have an Amazon Echo in your home, Amazon smart home device that runs Alexa, unless you specifically opt out by this certain date, you're going to be signed up for the Amazon Sidewalk program, meaning your Echo will become part of a network where anybody walking by your house will now be connected to your Alexa for purposes, for, for example, like this one, okay? If you lose something, you drop your keys or your wallet outside someone's nice looking townhouse, and there's, let's say, three Amazon Echoes nearby, well, they're gonna ping to your phone or to your keys and identify its location. So you'll be able to go get it. The point is, people's private smart devices are all gonna be connected or are connected to this network ostensibly for good reasons. So the fellow investors, Lee's fellow investors in Tile include, once again, look at that Silicon Valley Bank, Nicholas Woodman, founder of GoPro, and Tencent Holdings, parent company of TikTok. Man, it's funny how connected everything seems to be these days. Just nuts. So Lee started working as an advisor at a real estate services company called Golden Key in March 2015. And in April 2015, he became CEO of Present Company, a social media company focused primarily on women. In May 2017, he became a limited partner at Signal Fire, 
another venture capital firm based in San Francisco. Companies in SignalFire's portfolio include, once again, Clubhouse, along with a number of startups in the sectors of virtual healthcare, driverless trucks, cybersecurity, and financial services. Now, here's something real interesting, everyone. Two days ago, when I started looking at this story, I was able to access Bob Lee's LinkedIn profile. It has since been scrubbed. This is the page you get when you're not logged in. When you are logged in, it gives you a this page doesn't exist message. Funny enough, it's not just Bob Lee whose account has been scrubbed. We'll get to that later. And I can't help but wonder why this is. You would think, you know, with Facebook, for example, you can immortalize an account. Uh, I did that with my mom after she passed away, uh, where the account can no longer be logged into. Um, it's 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 uh, it's it's immortalized. Now I don't know if LinkedIn has a similar um, function, but it seems odd to me that there would be just a complete wipe, as if the thing never existed. That being said. I did, as a smart individual, particularly one who's been listening to Mark Kulag, Usatonic Live, I understand the value of immediately capturing information that's going to be relevant, likely, down the line. And that's what I did. So this section of his LinkedIn lists his patents. What I didn't do is open up the entire patent list and capture that. My mistake. But just the top three that are visible themselves are particularly interesting. So according to the now defunct LinkedIn page, he, uh, he sorry, foot on Rumble, how could Amazon Sidewalk possibly go wrong? Very good question, Futch. So according to his, yeah, Lee was an inventor of at least eight patents. The first three are visible on the main page of his profile, which I had managed to capture. The first is titled Card Reader Emulation for Cardless Transactions. The patent was filed, let's pull it up here, on April 17th, 2017 by Square Inc., which is now named Block Inc. That happened in 2021, I believe. And the patent was issued on September 14th, 2017. So, as described in the abstract, I quote, Disclosed are methods and apparatus that enable a cardless payment transaction to be executed from a merchant point-of-sale system. You know, like the one that Square uses. A user is enabled to check in at a merchant by using a mobile device of the user and then pay by simply appearing at the merchant and mentioning his name. Very interesting. It's the second patent, though, that really got my attention. Titled Detecting Proximity Using Wi-Fi Hotspots, the patent describes a method of includes... Sick. Receiving hotspot identification data from the first device, where the identification data identifies a plurality of Wi-Fi hotspots that are in proximity to the first device. Determining that the second device is associated with the first device, sending the hotspot identification data to the second device, where the first device and second device are mobile devices, receiving an indication of proximity from the second device, and notifying the first device of the indication of proximity. Square and, you know, Block uh, are once again the holder of that patent. Now I'm going to show you a fun little graph here. Because recall, Lee's investment in Tile, described earlier on, just moments ago. Just as Tile uses Bluetooth, 
technology to connect devices to the Internet of Things, this square slash block held patent describes a method to accomplish the same outcome using the much more familiar technology of Wi-Fi. In both cases, the idea is to be able to use these wireless networks to tag and identify the physical location of an object or person based on its interaction with other parts of the network, also allowing for the sending and receiving of data to each device. You see where I'm going here? So this graphic comes from an article published by the Wi-Fi Alliance, which in a moment I'll show you, outlines the importance of Wi-Fi to enable the Internet of Things. Now look, on the bottom left here, we have location awareness as one of the key um, aspects of this pie chart. Now, for those listening just on the podcast, I'll read this out. You have location awareness, reliable, sophisticated connectivity, extensive IoT, that's Internet of Things, product portfolio, standards-based interoperable technology, pervasive connectivity and backward compatibility, proven WPA3 security, cost-effective, simple deployment and use, and flexible network topology. And that together makes up the Wi-Fi certified Internet of Things. All right, so now we go to the article itself from the Wi-Fi Alliance. I quote, Wi-Fi has played a foundational role in delivering IoT innovation, providing pervasive connectivity to connect a wide variety of things to each other, to the Internet, and to 18 billion Wi-Fi devices in use around the world. The economic potential of the Internet of Things is boundless, and Wi-Fi delivers a vast range of opportunities across a variety of sectors, including smart homes, smart cities, automotive, healthcare, enterprise, government, and industrial IoT environments. There you go. The third patent, titled Hierarchical Data System, sorry, Hierarchical Data Security Measures for a Mobile Device, covers a cybersecurity system for mobile devices. It is also held by Square slash Block and was published in September 2019. Unlike the other two patents, Lee is not the sole inventor on this one. His co-inventors include Nathan McCauley, co-founder and CEO of Anchorage Digital, the first digital asset bank to be granted a banking charter from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, or OCC. In a March 2022 article for Fortune, Macaulay claims that Anchorage proactively volunteered to be regulated at the highest level they could. That sounds an awful lot like what Sam Bankman-Fried was doing with FTX, going in there helping draft legislation to regulate the crypto market. Interesting. Why would you, unless you were collaborating and, <sighs> strange. He was formerly the uh, security engineering manager at Square. And that's what we'll find, is all of the inventors here used to work for Square. That's why they're all inventors on this thing. Next, we have Sam Quigley, Square's first information security hire, as per his LinkedIn. Quigley started Emero's Advisory Services in 2010 to work as an independent consultant focusing on security management and scaling issues. 
He volunteered for Joe Biden's presidential campaign in August to November 2020. In March 2021, Quigley founded Kicho Inc., an organization dedicated to finding therapeutics for people with DOOP15Q syndrome, which I believe is a genetic, uh, I don't know what the appropriate word is, uh, genetic disease, genetic condition. I don't know. I don't like how any of those sound. But anyway, that I think that's what it is. Um, a nonprofit organization, okay, partnered with the Chan, oh, sorry, sorry. He also serves on the board of directors for the Dupe 15Q Alliance, a nonprofit organization partnered with the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. That's, yes, indeed, Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan. Also, the pharma-funded National Organization for Rare Diseases and the U.S. government's Interagency Collaborative to Advance Research in Epilepsy, or eye care, research portfolio as you can see, funded by the National Institutes of Health, the CDC, so on and so forth. Now, I mentioned that others are having their LinkedIn profile scrubbed. This guy, at least at the link that I was looking at, no longer has a LinkedIn profile as of this morning. Very strange. Then we have a guy named Eric Monty, a security engineer at Square, uh, he previously worked as lead security engineer for Trustwave's Spider Labs Threat Intelligence Gathering Program. Among Trustwave's partners are Amazon Web Services, Cisco, CrowdStrike, Google Cloud, and Microsoft, which, if you recall last week's episode, we, we talked about not this company, but another company who offered their opinion on Russia's cyber warfare, so on and so forth. Go watch that episode if you haven't yet. But the same partners. And, and CrowdStrike, I can't help but feel like I've heard that name come up in the context with some data breach, something to do perhaps with the 2016 election. If someone can remind me in the chat or provide further info, it may be valuable. I haven't looked into it yet, but they keep coming up. And then finally, we've got this guy, Mike Lewis, who appears to have a sense of humor, head of engineering and human learning at Square in the security uh, or the risk area, among other former positions. He formerly worked as a software engineer at Google and then Uber, focusing on financial anti-fraud software, cloaking detection, and rewriting the service that tracks all of the devices people have logged in with. I think that was for Uber. Hmm. Okay, now we're, we're coming up to the present day here. We're, we're, we're getting there. So while details on this are scarce, the World Health Organization confirmed that after COVID-19 broke out, Lee participated in the development of the official COVID-19 app for the World Health Organization. That's no small thing. That's no small thing at all. And this bears further digging. And I found it quite difficult to locate any information beyond just a mention that he had done this. And yes, indeed, the World Health Organization came out and said, yeah, he was a big part of this. It was a big deal. So let's, let's find a way to circle back to this. If anybody can come up with any further context, through what mechanism, through what organization or effort or funding mechanism did he participate in the development of the World Health Organization's COVID-19 app? And don't they have more than one? While this is certainly interesting and bears further investigation, what I find even more interesting or more pertinent is a job he took uh, 
he took before the first year of the declared COVID-19 pandemic was up. This is a screenshot from his LinkedIn profile, which happily I still have up on my laptop. Uh, I haven't refreshed yet. Um, you see, one of them is advisor and head of software at Prediction Bio. I think it's meant to read Prediction Bio from November 2020 to present. Now, in November 2020, he joined Prediction Bio as advisor head of software. Prediction Bio was founded in February 2016 as by a trio of students at the University of Michigan, winning a $100,000 TIE Boston Angel Investment Prize. How good for them. From the University of Michigan's website, I quote, Prediction Bio is a precision medicine diagnostics company with a product called Microkine, a patent-pending near-bedside diagnostic device that measures certain proteins or cytokines in the blood of critically ill patients. Microkine delivers this information in less than 30 minutes, 10 times faster than that of any existing technology on the market, from a single drop of blood allowing physicians to prescribe drugs specifically tailored to an individual patient's unique immune response. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound a little bit like Theranos? The company that turned out to be a complete fraud, you know, supported by Joe Biden and James Mattis and uh, Henry Kissinger and a whole bunch of other very powerful people. Around this exact same time, it's almost as if there were multiple companies each claiming the same general origin story. And when one of them didn't work, the other one continued. I don't know. It's quite a striking resemblance, though. Now, um, in June 2016, the pair received its or sorry, the company received its first pair of grants from the University of Michigan and MedTech Innovator, described as the largest lifestyle. Sorry, not lifestyle the largest life science accelerator in the world for medical device, digital health, and diagnostic companies. Now, on the screen, you're going to see a bunch of logos. And if you can identify the most pertinent one in the next five seconds, you get a no prize. MedTech is funded by COVID-19 vaccine developer Johnson & Johnson. It's funded by the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, or BARDA, and the Pharmaceutical Lobbying Association, Advanced Medical Technology Association, or ADVAMED, along with a whole bunch of others. So we got BARDA funding. Fantastic. Then it gets even more direct. In 20, uh, 2018, the company received $224,000-some dollars, just under $225,000, in funding from the National Institutes of Health's Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Small Business Grant Program. Further grants and investments for the company came from Y Combinator, Hillsven Capital, Signalfire, where Lee worked, and I think still did up to his passing, and Paul Bukit, inventor of Google's Gmail. Worked at Y Combinator, I believe. But here's, so that that's all very interesting. But after the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, Prediction underwent a revision, at least what looks like a revision to its history, and then a reintroduction 
of a brand new flagship product called Refractal. Instead of their Theranos-like blood testing machine, which I imagine might invoke some skepticism from investors and consumers at this point in time, this new product, Refractal, was specifically focused on testing for COVID-19 alongside flu, strep, and RSV at once with a single sample. And it was during this era of the company that Lee joined on as head of software and as an advisor. In short, Bob Lee was working at a company whose primary focus at the time that he worked there was COVID-19 testing and testing for similar viruses. Coming off of his work with the World Health Organization. Okay, but now moving into the final stage here. Lee began advising a cryptocurrency startup called Mobile Coin in February 2021, taking on a full-time gig as chief product officer in November 2021. Mobile Coin is described as a cryptocurrency platform that provides anti-fraud services and payment services for merchants. Its first round of seed funding came from 8 Decimal Capital and IN, IN Blockchain. INB, IN Blockchain, the latter of which advertises itself as, quote, the most influential investment group in the Chinese blockchain space, with its partners being, quote, among the single largest holders of Bitcoin in the world. That's significant. Its website bears the slogan, in blockchain we trust. Oh my. Indeed. Now, later rounds of funding brought in investments from Binance Labs, General Catalyst, which we've looked at before because of Chris Hughes, one of the co-founders of Facebook, who went on to work as a, I think, a limited partner there as well. as well as Future Ventures, which is bearing a nice Ukrainian flag there, you might notice. Then in August 2021, Mobile Coin's $66 million Series B round of funding brought on board a number of notable investors, including, of all the companies, Alameda Research, one half of Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX scheme, Coinbase Ventures, Time Ventures, which is the venture capital firm of Salesforce founder Mark Benioff, and VY Capital, whose other recent investments include several of Elon Musk's big ventures, including Neuralink, The Boring Company, and Twitter. Mobile Coins Development is uh, led by the Mobile Coin Foundation whose mission is, quote, to build a trusted and innovative financial network that empowers people and business around the world. Now, this is where we get into current events. Things are moving at light speed. In February 2023, MobileCoin announced it was rolling out its own stable coin pegged to the U.S. dollar called EUSD. Now, remember that USD... Uh, that, that stable coins are basic, they're supposed to be, as described here, a cryptocurrency token, but that, that operates exactly 
for the consumer exactly like a US dollar. So USDT, that's Tether. You have USDC, which is USD coin. Um, and uh, there's a number of others. There was one called BUSD, which was Binance US dollar. But we covered, remember, that that was uh, told to stop minting new coins and Binance distanced themselves uh, maybe two months ago. But let's quote from the Yahoo News uh, press release here. In the wake of the FTX implosion, the need for proof of reserves has never been greater. Pegged to the U.S. dollar, EUSD is backed one-to-one by a diversified basket of yield-bearing, trusted stablecoin derivatives utilizing Compound and AVE. And they list AUSDC, CUSDC, AUSDT, and CUSDT. EUSD is decentralized, community-governed, and censorship-resistant. Interesting. Nevin Freeman, co-founder of Reserve, shared, in light of New York State Department's order for Paxos to stop minting BUSD, exchanges everywhere are scrambling to reshuffle all BUSD trading pairs and functions, which highlights one of the advantages of stable coins like EUSD that aren't dependent on any one issuer. If any underlying fiat-backed coin included in the ye- in sorry in EUSD's backing has such an issue, it can be rebalanced out via governance without interrupting service for EUSD users at all. All right. In short, mobile coin is very much involved in the ongoing transformation of the world's banking system, tying together many pieces of the puzzle, including the collapse of both FTX, as they noted, and Silicon Valley Bank, and the subsequent crackdown on cryptocurrencies and crypto-friendly banks like Silvergate. Bob Life's, sorry, Bob Lee's life and career are notable for many reasons. And his contributions to advancing the cryptocurrency and mobile payments ecosystem are not to be understated. His work on and investments in Internet of Things technology and close relationships to the people and organizations behind Twitter, both Jack Dorsey, who founded Square, and Elon Musk, are notable as well. Now, as of this morning, Friday, April 7th, no arrests have been made. Heck, there's not even that much interest in finding out who it is, as far as I can tell. But an article in The Independent provided an update from San Francisco police, stating, I quote, San Francisco police say they are chasing down unspecified leads in the fatal stabbing of Cash App founder Bob Lee as the search for his killer enters day four. Gruesome details continue to emerge about the murder in an early morning mugging continue to emerge. Hmm, that's a weird typo. But authorities do not appear to be anywhere closer to an arrest. We have some leads to follow up on, San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott said Thursday as scrutiny mounts over the investigation. I can't disclose what those are now. It's early on in the investigation, but I'm hopeful and I'm very confident. This article that I've put together, this video, is not meant to capture the entirety of who Bob Lee was. I can't possibly do that. 
nor do I want anyone walking away thinking this is the most important or complete summary of his life. However, after identifying some of his most prominent accomplishments, the people, the, the organizations, the, 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 the financial flows, the influence flows, I feel we are now better informed, at least a little bit, as we process further news of what led to his murder. Maybe we'll find out who did it. I guess, if anything, my point is to say this man was not just another statistic. Frankly, nobody who's murdered in San Francisco or anywhere else is just a statistic. I don't like that some people are treating him as just a statistic. And some of the people doing that know who he was much better than the general public. And that makes me a little suspicious. The point is, the more informed we are, the better we understand who this person was, their contributions and their impact, the better we will be in processing new information as it comes out and understanding, as Miss Weasel points out, qui bono? Who benefited from Bob Lee and his passing? Maybe the answer is no one, or maybe the answer is, yeah, there's some people, but there's no reason to believe that they were connected to his, as the Independent now calls it, his murder. I'll say, I think it's weird that they don't have any actual leads to report on after four days. I smell something fishy here. Um, I have nothing specific to offer in terms of suggestion. But we'll see what happens. But most importantly, rest in peace, Mr. Lee. Now, before we go to the end here, I'm just going to uh, read one of the comments here from Amy came on on uh, Twitch, it seems that they very much desire a near magical diagnostic slash testing tool. Hmm. What happened with all the swabs from COVID testing? Surely they were all destroyed and no one tried to use them to improve some magical diagnostic machine. I like the way you think. I think there's a, you know, I noticed that uh, I read here. I'll pull it up one sec. I read this book, Bad Blood about Theranos. And uh, I'll just say, on the back cover, you've got a quote from Bill Gates, so compelling that I couldn't turn away. This book has everything. Which makes me think this book doesn't have everything. But the way they talk about what Theranos was supposed to do sounds an awful lot like what they describe PCR in general as a technology of being able to do. But it seems weird that it's so clearly transparent the limitations of what PCR can do that it's, it's just so weird. It's just so weird. So then when I see something like this, indeed, I start to wonder if there is this, this um, almost dishonest desire for the ability to test everything with a simple drop of blood or, or any fluid. Oh, just a simple swab up the nose or just spit into this thing. And, you know, we can tell you your entire genetic history very odd in any case thank you all so much for watching uh not a happy show uh, i don't like talking about people I, I don't like it when people die too early death is a part of life murder i don't think should be but thank you all for watching anyway i hope we walk away more informed don't forget join us over on roundingtheearth.locals.com where we've had a number of wonderful people watching and on rumble as well some wonderful conversation and um, also, don't forget, Rounding the Earth started as a Substack series written by Matthew Crawford. 
and he continues to publish tremendously interesting and informative uh, materials over at roundingtheearth.substack.com, where you can also sign up for free or become a paid subscriber, which also supports not just the Substack, but the Rounding the Earth uh, enterprise as a whole. I have been Liam Sturgis. You can find me at liamsturgis.com. And last but not least, the show notes for this show will be posted on roundingtheearth.locals.com within the next few hours as I finish up uh, the, it'll probably be actually fairly quick because I just need to do some last minute formatting. We will see you guys on Monday for a wonderful, um, a wonderful, uh, RTE discussion between Matthew and yet another excellent guest. And I hope you have a fantastic Easter weekend, no matter what you celebrate. I hope it's with friends, family, and loved ones in general, and just overall be well. <laughs>